Zach Kornhauser is a mastering and audio engineer for Atlantic Records' main studio in New York City. He comes in at the very last and very important stage of the recording process to make sure that the recordings translate well on multiple playback formats and that they sound great. He's also on a small team of engineers who handle day-to-day sessions in the studio. I talked with him about his workflow, his journey to where he is now, and I got a very cool answer to the question, who inspires you? We'll be back in a moment with another awesome conversation. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. Welcome to OWC Radio. It's so nice to see you. I know you're so busy, and I've been so busy. It's taken us a while to to schedule this, but um, I'm really curious about what you do and how you do it. So, how's your day going? First of all, it's going great. Thank you. Yeah, just uh, it's been a lot of project. Now that the office is uh, has been back in full swing, we recently opened about a month ago in uh, February, and it's been just full steam ahead. Wow. So you're actually in the studio and you don't have to work from a remote location. That's wonderful. No, thankfully mm-hmm. we, we had to do that for a year. I wasn't able to come into the studio here. Yeah. For like just over a year. Wow. And it, it was torture in that yeah. sense. Of, yeah. You know. that, it's hard. I know it's hard. I'm dealing with a studio at my house now and sometimes things happen in this area that you can't control you know yesterday they were jackhammering down the street <laughs> so no yeah it's crazy yeah i had the same thing when i was in you know my apartment I'm, i live in midtown manhattan and i'm on the second floor so i hear everything so let's just say it was not it was not easy having to work from home no especially when you're doing the finite mixes that you're doing so let's start with atlantic records what can you tell us about What's going on there? Just give us a general overview. Yeah, so, you know, Atlantic Records, we are one of the biggest um, major recording labels in uh, not just the country, but the world. And we've got artists, um, at least current artists now, like Party B, Ed Sheeran, Bruno Mars. Um, There's so many others. Um, But, you know, on top of doing and creating records in the traditional, you know, uh, doing PR, marketing and all that, we've kind of entered this new territory in kind of the, you know, 21st century of, of you know, having to do a multitude of different um, applications. Like we were doing a lot of stuff for different content, like for TikTok, Instagram, everything social media have you. And, you know, um, it's, it's so evolving, not just with that, we're doing so much more involvement with actual technology. One of the big ones being um, Dolby Atmos on Apple Music. That's a really big one that uh, the company is putting a lot of uh, you know time and effort into um, getting into the mainstream. So it's it's so many multitudes of you know possibilities that we are trying to you know push through and uh, make norm. There's an amazing history at Atlantic Records. How long have you been there? So I've been here now just over four years. Um, I interned. And that includes when I was interning. I interned here. It was about like a month or not a month. I should say six months. Um, it was a semester. I was still in uh, school. I was getting my master's at the time. And yeah. And then I started work, working in part time. And then one thing led to another. And I'm here. I feel like I'm here literally every day now. Well, <laughs> it's not a bad. I know you've been working really long hours. Tell us a little bit about what you do and explain to those. We have two kinds of people in our audience. We have people who are influenced by your creativity and what you do and why you do it. And then we also have the techies who are in here who do things similar to what you do. So can you explain for those who might not know, what is the mastering and audio mixing uh, of your job? what's that all about right well i think you kind of you made two great points of the especially of the listeners up here you know it's you kind of have this creative artistic uh side if you will and then another is kind of in a way well you were working with electronics we're working with 
actual physical gear, digital equipment, uh, just actual digits. So I kind of like to think of what I do. Um, it's a very nice blend of art and science, um, especially when it comes to mixing and mastering. Um, you know, um, everything is subjective in mixing and mastering, but you know, there are some things in, in kind of a scientific mindset that can come really in, in, uh, in handy. But I guess for people that don't know kind of what I do with specifically mastering, um, I, I feel like I have to always uh, come up with a new definition every time I explain it. Um, but essentially, mastering is the final stage of the music production you know, formula. It's the last chance to listen back to mixes and doing a lot of quality control checking. You know, it's my job to create an objective balance to see how music will sound what it needs, what it doesn't need uh, to survive in a huge, ever-evolving competing market. Um, so I have to make everything kind of cohesive and work in a multitude of different, you know, playback formats. So the big one now, streaming, you know, CD is still there, but not as big as it used to be. Vinyl's making a comeback. So yeah, I like to think I'm kind of like, in, in a sense, kind of like, the last gatekeeper before someone's art, in this case music, is pushed out into the world. Do you work directly with the artists or do you have producers who are in between you and the artists? It's, it's both. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of producers will say that they're also the artists, that they're also the mixer. It's, you know, um, it's a multi, you know, so many different categories and definitions. So I, I deal with a lot. I deal with you know, I, a lot of times I deal with artists, just they're taking control of everything. And then others, it's like a giant team of people where, you know, I'll only talk to say the manager and they'll send me, you know, a mix and I can't even talk to the artist. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really just depends. Mm -hmm. So many different, uh, you know, avenues that I have to be ready for mm -hmm. and uh, ready at, yeah, at any moment's notice. So there's a whole team over there. You mentioned a couple of other people when we were first talking a few months ago who work with you in that department. It was um, Joe, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Joe Pomerico and Kai Brown. Are they also? That's right. Yeah, them? it's uh, Kai Brown. Uh, yeah, Kai Brown. Mm -hmm. um, so the two of them, we work together. And then it's also Ebony Smith. Mm -hmm. She is um, a, a producer engineer that works with us um, now or has been rather uh, for a long time, but it's really the four of us at this moment that we kind of oversee all studio operations, at least in the New York mm -hmm. uh, studio. We've got a couple of studios throughout the country, one, uh, I believe in Atlanta, and then I wanna say two or three out in the general LA area, including like North Hollywood, mm -hmm. and all that. Um, yeah, the four of us, we kind of oversee all operations here in New York. So what was a recent project do you want to talk about? And then we'll kind of dissect it in terms of workflow. Sure. So I had a, um, a really fun project. This was a couple months ago. It was this artist um, named Bay Bryan. He's out in the, uh, in the UK. Really awesome folk, kind of like folk pop, um, really unique. So I didn't record any of it, so I was sent all of the uh, each song, and I was sent each uh, you know microphone source and all that. So, you know, there were there were songs that ranged from only say five tracks, you know, a vocal and a cup, maybe a guitar and uh, one microphone that had like a drum kit, and to having uh, tracks that had maybe I think even like sixty tracks, maybe, and I've had some that are even in the hundreds. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, we, I got to take all those tracks and kind of just like an, a little oversight of mixing, you know, I took all these individual stems, individual instruments, I kind of got a, you know, a general balance to make, to have everything kind of in their place in the recording. And then I did a little plot of like, you know, certain fine tuning cleanup using like a combination of equalizers, compressors. And, you know, other effects like reverb delays and all that and making kind of this nice little palette. And once everything was done on that per song, um, we went through stages of certain revisions. If the artist was like, oh, maybe the 
uh, they thought maybe the guitar was too hot, uh, too louder. This was too soft. Made those, and then once everything was done, I took all those tracks and I started mastering them. And that's when I kind of, you know, um, took a more objective look at them, uh, especially after we had uh, we let um, everyone sit with the tracks for a little bit, kind of just to clean our you know, get a fresh uh, mm -hmm. palette. Mm -hmm. um, and I took all these tracks and I got them to appropriate levels um, for, um, for the distribution style, which in this case was uh, really just streaming. And I uh, may try to make everything cohesive with each other. Um, that's one big thing in mastering is, uh, especially when you're working with albums, is trying to create a sense of cohesion. You know, you don't want to have to listen to one song you know, and then you skip to, or you go to the next song and it's either completely like super quiet or super loud. You don't want to have to be reaching for controls. You want to have as the best seamless uh, experience. So where someone listening doesn't have to, you know, either touch a button or be like, oh, that doesn't sound like it's, you know, connecting, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, that was the big thing. And once that was done, you know, we did um, another, you know, um, revision or not, not revision but um just a uh, quality control and make sure everyone was happy with it and then once it was done we got the files and said you know we had a beer and all that <laughs> good luck <laughs> break a yeah, leg exactly so i'm curious do they tell you what order these songs are going to be on on the album or do you have any input to that and and do you also decide like how much break there is between songs like it seems to me like every, especially in vinyl, there's like a rhythm that happens on the vinyl. There is. Sure, yeah. Um, it depends. I mean, I, it, sometimes it's a collaborative thing. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they have a specific thing being like, I need three and a half seconds in between this track and to that track. Other times they just say, I'll just let you choose and whatever you think is right. Um, that's another thing. Um, it's all subjective, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes you want, sometimes it's great to have a song, you know, go immediately into another uh, with little to no time in it. Um, so you might want to keep that momentum going. It just depends on the track order. And most of the time, the track order, the artist already has, and they just tell me, mm -hmm. um, but I've had a couple of instances where they've asked my opinion and I'll say, well, maybe you want to have kind of a quiet song, you know, towards the middle, instead of like at the beginning, especially say if it's like a rock band, you know, you want to kind of start an album like, you know, what you would think, oh, just rock, you know, like a big old on the stage type of thing. Um, but, you know, it's subjective. So I really just, you know, give my 10 cents if they, if they ask for it, you know, I try to just tread the waters and see, you know, what seems right. Um, every project I treat, you know, very differently from, the last because unlike say maybe in certain things with mixing and recording mastering is there's no there's no certain process that's going to work for every project mm -hmm. it one thing that may work for this thing could be the complete opposite of what is needed for you know mastering it's always come in with a fresh set of ears and take a quick you know a, a, a take your initial um you know listen and just go with your gut and that that i think alone is a big part of it is just this is your first this is my first time hearing a song so or their recording so i needed to address it the same way that say a fan is going to listen to a song for the first time and i want them to feel that you know and i want the artist to feel that because if they can feel that then chances are the the fans are going to feel the exact same thing so I'm, I, I don't know why, but I'm visualizing you at, at the board and I want, in a moment, I want you to look around and tell us what equipment you have around you, but it's almost like you're directing an orchestra, only it's with your hardware that's in front of you. It's, right. You, you talked to me about 60 tracks, 100 tracks. I don't know how any human being can keep track of all that. No pun intended. Well, it's, actually, pun it's, was oh. intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it can be, a, it can definitely be a lot. Um. I mean, I, I always tell people when I'm like receiving uh, stuff to mix, if there's any way that you can combine multiple tracks Thank into you. one, if if it calls for that, go ahead and do it mm -hmm. because it's going to save so much time. 
you know, not only doing the work, but to um, organize the work. I mean, organizing, you know, the tracks in a recording. I mean, that's honestly a half the battle at times, mm-hmm. especially when you have like hundreds of tracks. You want to make sure that it's organized in a way where, you know, you know where everything is. You can quickly go to it, make adjustments as needed. And, you know, sometimes like say, I mean, the best example of this is a drum kit, you know, a drum kit can have upward so many different, you know, microphone sources, kick drum in, kick drum out, a snare top, a snare bottom. I mean, you could easily, you know, have so many tracks and, you know, sometimes you need to be able to have everything at a quick, you know, um, a quick hands reach because a lot of things you need to be, you know, very quick, uh, People and artists, they expect it sometimes to have their tracks back so quick, you know, <laughs> so we have to be ready. Um, yeah. We're, we're offering them a service. Yeah. You know, and we provide that. So we have to be, I feel we have to be very organized in a lot of ways. Yeah. But you're really a very important part of the creative process too. What you do is like the final polish on all the work that's come before you and you're, I know <laughs> it, it, yeah, it can be. It can be intimidating. It can definitely be intimidating because these, the artist and the producer and the mixer, I mean, they could be working on an album for days, weeks, months, even years. And they're at the point where they're honestly just maybe even tired of it. And they're just like, let's just get this done. Um, Oh, by the way, can you make this like, you know, make it seem like I'm going to cry the first time I hear this master. I'm like, Okay, you know I'll do. <laughs> well, that's I'll, I'm real do specific. <laughs> that's real specific. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> people have people have had those requests, and you know the good type of crying, uh, hopefully. So, uh, you know, so I, you know, I have to take things with a grain of salt, and I have to again trust my gut with that. Um, it's it's so again like every project you have to treat differently because so many people have different expectations different needs and everything it's it's funny you said it, trust it, your gut because i was going to ask you where do you feel it when you're in the flow is it your head your heart your gut is it like a big a big smack in the gut that tells you oh my gosh i've got it right what happens you know i i find that it always evolves sometimes like i feel like when i'm like i can go for months working and when i know it's right i might feel that it's like in my heart you know, sometimes I feel it like actual goosebumps around nice. like, you know, my body. Other times I, you know, it's in my head where I'm just like, damn, that like is really good. <laughs> or, or, or it could be the opposite where it's like, oh, and you know what? No, no, no. I need to either go back and redo something. Or if the mix wasn't, if there's something wrong with the mix, I'd be like, I would tell the mixer or the producer, the, the song would be served better if we go back into the mix, change that little thing because it'll make my process a lot easier. I don't have to do as much work. And the idea is for mastering, and I think most mastering engineers would agree that we want to try to do as little as possible. Right. Especially if a, especially if the mix is great. Right. You know, we want to we want to keep what's there. You know, the mixer and the producer and artist, they've worked hard on. We don't want to have to either take something away or repurpose something. Right. You know, and then come back and be like, hey, we worked so hard on it to sound like this and now it sounds something else yeah. you know are you ever in the mixing stage yeah mm-hmm. i um i'd say nowadays it's been a lot more mastering um most of the mixing stuff is usually comes uh when an artist says we want you to master as well and we just kind of want to do it all in-house mm. or just all within one person um that happens from time to time i'm actually uh, doing that right now with another artist Actually, I'm doing. I'm producing um, this person's song as well, so I'm doing every step. Ooh, that's nice. Are you allowed to talk about who that is yet? Um, I feel like I probably can. I can't really go into too much details. Um, it's this. Uh, it's this uh, singer songwriter here in New York. I don't know if I can say the name just yet. Okay. Um, that's fine. I re- I recently signed a contract um, before to make sure that we. Uh, keep it all under the radar for the basic things but right um but yeah it, you know uh, i'm producing it as well so that's nice i um you know i do get to have actually and it's kind of fun i get to have a lot of more specific artistic control in that i can choose i'm you know i'm able to say well maybe we need this guitar to to do this play this chord 
uh, play it soft, play it hard. Uh, let's use that amplifier. Let's not use this or whatever. So uh, it's kind of in a way like really nice. I can kind of like, um, you know, spread my wings a little bit into that. Um, and it also helps me kind of as I'm doing every stage of the production, it allows me to kind of, you know, go in what at least I believe is a, is, a, is a healthy order of operations, starting with the recording and making sure, okay, everything is sounding great there. Great. We can move on to the mix mm -hmm. once and do and repeat that. And by the time I'm done with mastering, I hope, ideally and hopefully I won't have to do much. And I know what the end goal is already. Like, it's if I'm just getting a track to master, I, I ideally will ask the artist what their end goal is like, but sometimes I just can't, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not able to, right. uh, for, for other multitude of reasons. Yeah. I mean, you must be really good at what you do because you haven't been there that long and they've, <laughs> you went from intern to audio engineer, mastering guru to now you're producing. That's pretty cool. I'm going to be watching you. Thank, you are going places, you. young man. That's pretty. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always a learning thing, you know, in process um, as much as, you know, I'm in this position all that doing this and that. I love that, you know, I can all, I'm always trying to learn new things. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it's things that, you know, I understand a concept, I do this and that, I just maybe haven't tried a technique or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, mm -hmm. it could be something very minute, but I find it great that I can always learn, uh, you know, from different people and from different experiences. The experiences alone, you know, working with different artists and different people, I mean, that's a great learning experience all the time because I'll know, you know, if something doesn't work or does work. And then I'll try to, you know, recreate that. And maybe in, you know, other times I'll try to do something else to create something else. And it keeps me on my feet. It keeps things interesting. You know, um, I don't want to have to keep doing things always the same because it would get stale. So I'm trying to, you know, provide my service in what I hope that people like of my work. But at the same time, you know, I always want to push that boundary even more. How did you learn how to do all of this? What did you study? So in college, I went to I went to Columbia College, Chicago. It's a liberal arts college um, in Chicago, downtown. Downtown. Um, I studied audio production there, and I got to learn to work in a studio. They had a studio at the school, which was really great. Um, you know, and throughout kind of my experiences there, I. Uh, I got to intern at a couple studios uh, back home in Houston. And once that was done, I did move back home uh, to Houston for about a year. I worked at two studios. Um, one was Eighth Note Productions under um, this great engineer named Ernie Wells. He's a Grammy Award winner. Um, I learned so much from him and I got to, you know, just take a peek into his workflow. And, you know, I tried, I tried certain things that he did. I was maybe like, oh, okay, well, that worked for me. Maybe that doesn't work for me. Take take with a grain of salt. And then I worked at um, Sugar Hill Recording Studios. That's where, like, um, you know, Destiny's Child and Beyonce, they got their start um, from. Uh, same thing, intern there. Uh, got to work with some people there and other engineers. They taught me things. Did like this, didn't like this. And then afterwards, um, I got, I went to, I moved to New York where I am now. Uh, to get my master's in music business. And that was an interesting path because it wasn't, you know, it was much more, uh, you know, I won't say non, non-artistic, but it was much more, say, like book, um, you know, book learning rather than certain experiences. Um, but it was really helpful. And that was one of the main reasons why I got to this position where I am now. You know, that's a good point that you're making because I talk to a lot of creative people all the time. And and yes, it's amazing. You're this wonderful creative person, but you also have to know how to find a job, how to keep a job, what the business aspects are of what you do. I, oh, yes. I think that was really smart of you to do that. Take a look around. Tell us the gear that you have around there. And I heard a rumor that you do have some OWC stuff. And this being OWC yes. radio, I kind of want to ask you about that as well. 
Of course. Well, where would you like to start? Uh, you OWC decide. Territory no, you or decide. Like... Just look around and just kind okay. of go through your workday and what you use and what you've right. got around you because it looks really well, cool. The image is a little small. Yeah, so this is actually... This is actually one of our smaller uh -huh. studios. Um, our main studio is like a traditional recording studio mm -hmm. with a live room and a big mm -hmm. control room. Mm -hmm. um, this room is a little bit more, we're actually in the middle of evolving this room to be a little bit more mastering centric mm -hmm. while also allowing people like producers just to plug in their laptop and work. Mm -hmm. um, so at the moment, uh, again, so we're, we're working to, you know, uh, uh, make this a little bit more uh, ready for my type of workflow. Um, but I would say kind of the interesting pieces we have here, um, you can't see it really, but it's in my desk over here. I have a manly massive passive uh, EQ or mm -hmm. equalizer. That's a really nice one. It's most, a lot of mastering engineers will know that's kind of one of the uh, a tried and true staple. Um, this is an old one, actually. Um, this, I think it's one of the first iterations of it. Um, it, it it's got some uh, wear and tear on it, but uh, it sounds great. That's definitely a, a, a go-to of mine. I've got. Um, I'm, I'm mainly talking about mastering gear because right, of course, we, we mostly have we have we have more like recording gear in the at this very second, but that's going to evolve. Um, I do have a pair of um, Odyssey headphones, and these are fantastic headphones for critical listening. I use these literally every time I master. Um, they're they're a little expensive, but an investment no nonetheless um you know that yeah. that brings to mind something else too because you're listening through headphones and if the headphones alter the sound how do you know you're getting a great mix i have studio the old uh, sony studio monitor yeah the digital monitors they stopped making them for a while and everybody got upset so right. they started making them again i had a pair that was stolen so i've got them again are those i right. mean but you've got the odyssey those are wonderful yeah yeah yeah. No, those are those are great, and you know, with a combination of, I mean, those headphones are already incredible. Um, usually, I kind of use um, some type of headphone correction, um, just a little bit. It helps flatten the response a little bit. Uh, do you need it with these headphones? I don't think you do. Um, I've done it with both. I just find what using that um, kind of is a little bit more pleasing and a little bit um, I'm more just used to. So that's really just come down to a personal preference. Um, but yeah, so that's a big one. Um, I've got a MyTech Brooklyn DAC Plus. That's um, a digital to analog converter. I use that to send out both to my speakers and uh, to feed my headphones over here. Um, that's a big, I'd say probably that. And uh, another one, I have a TC Electronic um, Clarity M. It's, um, it's a type of meter. It's like a hardware meter, tells me loudness range, uh, frequency, a couple of other things. That's great. Um, yeah, and we're, again, we're trying to, um, at least in this confines of Atlantic, we're trying to add some more uh, mastering-centric gear over time. So, you know, um, it, it's nice. So, you know, I work with what I have. Um, you know, it, it would be great, you know, down the road to, continue to, uh, you know, at one day work at, in a, or have the equipment that's like, you would see in like, you know, crazy, amazing mastering rooms, but, uh, you know, it's fun what I've got and all that. So for software, yeah. And, and kind of a quick note to what you were saying. I mean, the, the, where the technology is now, I know so many people, so many mixers, recording people, even mastering engineers that do it all with software and get great results. A lot of time I do that, you know, sometimes I'll, uh, if the, if it calls for it, I'll use some hardware, but honestly, the, the, um, working with a digital software now, not only does it sound great, how far it's come over the years, it's easy to recall. It's a fraction of the cost, you know, and if you have certain means to use hardware, great. You know, it's it's just a workflow uh, perspective at this point. Um, but yeah, so software, I use WaveLab um, 11, Pro 11, which is made by uh, Steinberg. They're the ones who make like Cubase. Um, I use that for my main uh, workstation DAW for mastering. And then I have, I've got a lot of different plugins from other companies. Um, kind of my go-to ones are like companies like FabFilter, 
Um, I use a couple of universal audio uh, stuff. What else do I use? Um, Plugin Alliance, they have a couple of uh, uh, pieces that uh, hardware emulations that I really like. Um, Pro Tools, I mainly use that for recording and mixing. I find um, like pro programs like WaveLab, that was really made with mastering in mind. And a lot of tools that uh, you, you know, that are in that you can't even find in programs like Pro Tools and the workflow of how it, um, you know, it helps me to work. It cuts the time in half if I were trying to do it in Pro Tools. But a lot of people still use Pro Tools. Um, it really just depends on workflow. Mm. You know? So I'm thinking um, the hierarchy of your tracks. Um, how do you normally organize it? And do you use colors so that you can find things easily? I'm still blown yeah, away so, by that 60 or 100 tracks. I don't know how you do it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, and, and certain people do it in certain different ways. Um, I found great a great way that works for me. Um, a lot of it is, like you said, color coding. Um, grouping tracks, similar tracks, like a drum kit, guitar, bass, vocals, or whatever. Um, and they didn't have this in Pro Tools until recently, which other uh, softwares did, was just like folders, you know? I can have like a folder of all everything drum related, and I can easily click it open and close it, and it makes it seem so much easier. Say if I'm done working on drums at the moment, I can turn, you know, close that, and it will, First off, it'll make more screen real estate and it makes me just kind of feel, okay, I cannot, I don't have to look at that right now. There's so many tracks I did. I've done what I needed to for the moment. Let me move on to the next part of the mix. Um, and sometimes even let's say if I receive, like you said, like hundred, whatever, so tracks, I might find that, you know, there are sometimes duplicates of something. So I'll just remove them. Or if I find that, uh, if there's any way that I can say take multiple tracks, sum them down into either one or a stereo uh, pair of, of, of track, I'll do that too, just so that um, it saves me time. I don't have to keep moving a lot of things. If it serves the same, if it serves you know, the, the purpose at the end of the day to try to mix it and I can get away with consolidating things together, if it calls for it, I'll do it. And you know, it, that's just prep work at the end of the day. Um, sometimes, um, you know, I'll ask the artist to do that if they, if I find that it's needed. Um, but that really helps. Um, don't let, don't let, you know, the, the tracks intimidate you because usually in most cases, there are ways where you can either remove or sum things together so it can be a little bit more. Uh, is your you know, edit non-destructive? I mean, can you go back if, if you do something that you hate? And this is my ignorance talking here because I don't know how to work. I, I work with video editing. Um, right. But when you're when you're um, mastering, if you do something you really hate, can you go, how many iterations can you go backwards or do you have to keep saving versions? Yeah, I mean, I can keep saving versions. That's actually what I do. Um, you know, I have a starter, starting file um for my daw and i'll do whatever i need to do and then i create um you know sub versions uh if i ever need to go back and do things so i can always for the most part go back um to either the beginning the middle the end and everywhere in between um and especially with software it makes it a lot easier because if it was if i was doing everything through a you know, a traditional console or analog gear, I'd have to, well, first I'd have to actually write down my settings or take pictures. And then I would have to put that back together. I'd have to in real time record it all back through the gear. So that can be time consuming. Um, yeah. yeah that's so that's, like, a, that is mind blown yeah, at that point. Exactly. <laughs> get tired that's before one, you even start. <laughs> I know that's one reason why I do actually prefer working in the digital domain um but again certain mm -hmm. projects call for that analog flavor now are you are you working with strictly audio projects or do you also do some mastering that has video with it how what kind oh of no I, I definitely yeah actually uh recently i've been doing a lot of that. um 
now that the office has been reopening, we work with our video team mm -hmm. uh, pretty pretty regularly for um, any content that the label wants to put out. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of times I'll get a mix or I'll have someone in our team mix, like um, my my friend Joe um, in the studio. He's he's does he gets sent a lot of uh, tracks that he'll just mix it and then he'll give it to me. I'll master it. Uh, we give it to the video team and you know they'll splice it up how they need and then we're good that's awesome so i i'm curious about something in the old days there were one or two distribution patterns right i mean you either had television right. or you had film you played some mm -hmm. of it on radio it was different though it was all analog right these days we have digital we have the streaming services we have web tv we have uh, the podcatchers. we have Spotify, iHeart, those kinds of things. We have theatrical, right. we have television. When you're mixing, do you have different mixes for those different outlets? Or do you, I mean, what what's the difference? I'm just really yeah. curious about that. Yeah, we. I definitely do, um, especially when it comes, like you said, like TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, the common phrase in mixing is like having a TV, a TV mix or an instrumental mm -hmm. mix, mm -hmm. vocal up version, a vocal down version. Mm -hmm. um, I've, you know, I've done that plenty of times. Same thing for mastering. Sometimes I'll get sent just the instrumental and they need that for, uh, say, like a sync license or a sync uh, publishing deal. So I'll do that. Um, and usually it's not any more different than when I've mastered the, the, the regular version. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a couple small tweaks here and there. Mm -hmm. um, I do that a lot. Um, and I guess when it comes to working, like, say, like in streaming, you know, there's certain requirements for music streaming. A lot of people have different theories about, oh, should you make a separate version from that than for, say, CD or whatever have you. I usually just make one master for that, mm -hmm. uh, just that works for everything. Mm -hmm. It's people would argue the opposite. You know, people would argue both sides of it. It's kind of this gray period, especially since streaming is in the scheme of things still kind of young. You know, not like, say, vinyl, where vinyl's been around for, you know, decades. Yeah, and it's like, it's interesting, too, because you're mastering and it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's like finishing your film and where is it going to be seen? Is it Dolby sound? Right. Is it going to be heard on, uh, you know, on their iPad or is it going to be in their car? And sometimes it's a little disappointing to think about all the hard work we as artists do. Right. And then I know. Uh, and then it moves to something that really distorts it in some ways. But I think that you have to start out with something really, really good. And well, then you'll get the yeah. best of all. You'll get the best of all worlds. So, where does OWC fit into this picture for you? Are you using some of the drives for archiving? For right, I was actually I forgot to mention that earlier uh, when we were talking about my equipment. But OWC has a very big role in it. Starting at least with the studio, Atlantic Studios here, we pretty much so like I'm not sure exclusively or not, but we I feel like more or less we use pretty much everything OWC especially the uh, the docks we use the um, the thunderbolt 3 mm -hmm. uh, docks we use both i think we use the big one like the 14 port one we have a couple of the smaller ones too i think uh, 10 port maybe even and on top of that we have a plethora of the envoy pro mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we use those the solid state ones i use that uh, drive as my main drive mm -hmm. and I remember talking, I think it was with, I think it was actually with Larry and Chris. I was talking with them. Uh, I, I met up with them at a, um, a fundraiser gala that was in uh, New York City back in October. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to them saying that when I got my hands on those drives, I was using Lacey drives for <laughs> years. Uh -huh. And I had always run into certain issues, whether they either completely crap out on me or I'd open up a session and it just was taking forever to load. I even had times where I had sessions where it was like not, nothing crazy, maybe two, three tracks. And I'd get like, oh, drive can't read. I'm like, you, come on, you got to be kidding me. And I have not yet had a single issue running anything audio 
really anything, anything uh, with these drives. Awesome. I know for a fact it doesn't matter what I'm doing. They're going to work great. And they're built, I mean, they're built incredibly well. Um, and even so much that I ended up buying just for myself, I bought a, um, a Thunder Bay 4 Thunderbolt drive. And I use that uh, really at home. Um, I use that kind of as my archiving station. Um, so every project I work on, on my mobile drive, the Envoy Pro, I just usually will throw it over into the Thunder Bay and I know it will be safe no matter what. And sometimes I've even done actual projects on them too. Same thing, never have run into any issues. Yeah, the drives are fast enough that you can actually edit to them if you need to. Especially the, right. the Envoy Pro is, it's so small and it's portable. It, it is. And yeah. And I, I I love that too because my lacy drives they were they were a little they were almost like double the size yeah and especially living in new york where you either have to take a subway you have to walk everywhere and if i i have my bag with me all the time it, it gets heavy yeah you know you don't you wouldn't think oh just a little like drive won't make a difference more things you add to it, it's going to make it hard. So that's uh, kind of a nice little bonus right there oh that's awesome that's um, really good to hear yeah I'm oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of OWC. That's how I ended up here. <laughs> they yeah. they've been very good to me over the years in terms of helping me when I had a big hack years ago. And they're just great people over there. Larry yeah. O'Connor, the oh. owner, and Chris Koistra and marketing are the two people I think you were talking about. They're they're like family to yeah. all of us, and they care yeah. about creatives and they care about tech. No, they they really do, and that and that's a nice thing to think about is that you know. A lot of the companies, other companies that work in this uh, kind of this field, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of companies that they just see it as, oh, okay, we're just making tech, um, go and do it as you please. But uh, like you said, like with Chris and Larry and everyone else there, you know, they they know the client, the type of clientele that they're working with. They're trying to be, per they are very personal, um, personable um and they know and i can talk with them like i remember i was talking with chris about certain needs that i needed and both the studio needed and it was great like he knew what we were talking about mm -hmm. and what our needs were mm -hmm. in the context of it and i was like wow like that that is really kind of just nice to know that you know especially with like equipment like this where you know you can easily rack up a lot of you know uh you can rack up your wallet you know, when buying certain things, you want to ensure that this is going to last a long time. So when you get to talk to someone renting those, you know, what the creatives are dealing with. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a really nice plus. Yeah. It's just that extra cherry on top. Well, and it, and it can also make or break your relationship with your clients because they don't understand if you're, if a drive is, is wanking out on you, right? I mean, if it's going nuts, right. they don't know what's going on. And they're sometimes thinking, oh my gosh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. How do you explain that to them? You've well, got something exactly. fast and reliable. You don't have to think about all that. You can just direct your right. orchestra. And even if you, <laughs> yeah, and if you, even if you tell the client, oh, well, something's going on and you explain everything and blah, blah, blah. Like, even if they say, oh, we get it, you know, it still yeah. leaves some impression Absolutely. that's out of anyone's control. So it's a negative feeling that comes into the room at those times. No matter how yeah. nice everybody is, you just don't want to have to deal with that. And you don't yeah. want to lose data either. And, you, you know, I'm sure you're right. doing multiple I, copies, but yeah, that would yeah, be awesome. I do that. And, I, and I've learned and I, you know, in the past before I was working on OWC drives, I, I did lose projects um, and it was a it was a pain. And telling our, my clients that, I mean, God, that's, that is the most painful thing that you can deal with. Oh, and again, it. yeah. Yeah. So knowing that that will never happen with this and that's that variable. I mean, it's, it's so important. That's so nice to hear. Thank you for that. Yeah. I really, I know that, that they will all appreciate that because they work hard every day. So tell us about some of the artists you've worked with and, and tell me who is a dream person that you'd like to work with that you haven't yet. Oh, that's great. That's a great question. So some of the artists I have worked with, um, both in just like recording and mastering, I've, uh, when I first got to Atlantic, I was fortunate enough. I got to work with artists like Jason Mraz, Rob Thomas, um, Butch Walker as a producer for Rob Thomas. That was really fun um those were kind of really the, the first ones that i really was um really into 
Um, I've gotten to master a couple of uh, different projects. Um, I did a really cool one uh, during COVID. Um, it was for a, a kid's album. It was like a compilation kid's album that was um, with a lot of different artists on the, on the label. And some of the artists on that uh, was Sia, um, who else? Portugal the Man, mm. Matt Mason. Mm. Um, there was a, a couple of other artists on there. That was a lot of fun. Um, just to, you know, well, for one, just getting to work with those big artists, that was a lot of fun. I, 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 I wasn't able to actually like talk with them or whatever. It was kind of just, we had to get this out, but that was a lot of fun. Um, we've worked with also kind of like a lot of, uh, younger artists too. Uh, one artist actually that's pretty noteworthy now, um, it's this new artist. She, I think her single, it's already gotten platinum. And it's only been out for like maybe not even a year. Uh, her name's Gail. She's um, this 17-year-old kind of like punk rock uh, artist that was signed to Atlantic. Um, she came in the studio and I got to help record some vocals for one of her songs. Um, my, my buddy Joe and I, we both got to do that. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you know, so it's so all over the place. And I guess there's probably two artists, maybe even probably more, but really two artists. If I ever got to work with, I would, I would do it for free at that point. <laughs> Don't say that um, they might take you up on it. <laughs> they might take me up. It would just, it would be a bucket list thing really. But I say the two artists would be Counting Pros and Dream Theater. Those two bands single-handedly and if I hope they can maybe hear this one day or whatever, but uh, they single-handedly were the primary reasons why I am here where I am now. That and my music teacher. That and my in my uh, music teachers in high school. Oh. But really, for as far as influence goes, those two bands were so incredibly important to getting me to first off appreciate their music, appreciate music. And appreciate music to the point where I was like, I don't think I can do anything else for my life. I have to do something in music. And then, of course, that started off with, you know, when I was younger, I, would, I learned how to play guitar and I played in bands, went to study music at school and then, then eventually worked in studios. So that alone definitely was the biggest uh, part of it. Yeah. So I was going to say, I think high school is a very sensitive and important time in your life where you really you've gone far enough to where you kind of know who you are, but then there's that next step and you don't quite know where to go. And it's wonderful. You were influenced towards yeah. music and sound because you're really good at this, you know? Well, I mean, I was, you're right. I mean, I was, I was fortunate in that. I mean, not only, you know, I was exposed to great music. Um, I also had great, you know, people to look up to in that um, my music teacher in high school, Kelly Dean back in Houston, I will tell that I tell this to him all the time too, that he's also like one of the most important, um, you know, role models I had and just, you know, appreciating music, uh, not just, you know, obviously before I was getting into bands, but just learning how to play, appreciating what that was, appreciating every other aspect of it. I mean, it goes really for any, anything else. It's not just music, but you know, it could be for sports. It could be for being a doctor, being a real estate agent, you know, it always is helpful to be exposed to great people that do what you like and pick their brain, mm -hmm. you know, and be respectful, pick their brain, learn as much as you can. Literally just like take in everything. I remember in high school, I was listening to so many different bands. I would go, and this is when CDs were still big. I would go like almost every weekend to uh, my local you know, music store near my house. And I would just pick up certain CDs from bands that my, friend my friends told me about. I was like, what the hell? Let me just listen. I did that even throughout college. I think throughout college, I probably bought maybe 300 plus CDs. Unfortunately, I don't really listen to nowadays because it's all you know streaming and We've gotten to a point where you can listen to high quality streaming um, as well. Yeah, but don't get rid of them. Keep them. You know what I did no, years ago? Stupid, yeah. stupid, stupid. I was moving out of a storage unit and making a, a long, a long distance move. And I had a couple boxes of audio tapes. 
Right. And I thought, well, yeah. I can I can get that online and I tossed them and you know what? I regret it. I really regret it because you can't always get it online and those are if, if you're right. Those are uh, that's history there. So keep them you're so right. these don't take up a lot of room. Not really. If anything vinyl does more and and that's the one I'm actually I've started collecting more of and I don't definitely ever want to get rid of those no. because to me vinyl is much more of listening to vinyl is much more of an experience because you know you have to you have to put it on the on the on the player you have to flip it get to put the needle down it's not as easy as just going on your phone and pressing play and letting it go so it's more of an of an actual experience well and you have it attached um, to your sound system at home it sounds better too you do that and you also have the you have the liner notes you have the artwork yeah, it's, it's like a whole it's an experience so what's your favorite record <laughs> yeah what's that what's your favorite record Oh, that is a very, very hard question. Well, just because I mentioned Counting Crows and Dream Theater before, if I had to pick one, like a favorite record of each band, uh, Counting Crows would either have to be, I just, you see, I love them all. Uh, but I think when it came to like being so important to me growing up, it would either be um, their, for one of either of their uh, first two albums, either August and Everything After, or recovering the satellites. Those two albums. I mean, to this day, I could listen to that. I could listen to that every day, and I would never get bored of them. Um, and then for Dream Theater, same thing. I love all their albums. I would probably say um, their album that came out in '99, Metropolis Part Two. That was a fun album, concept album. It has all the riffs, guitar riffs, and heavy metal, you know, progressivenesses that I love about that band and it's a nice palette of everything. Uh, same thing. I can listen to that every day and never get tired of it. <laughs> um, yeah. That's wonderful. You know, it's that enthusiasm for music and for what you do that makes you good at what you do. I really, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that all your dreams come true. And we're going to be watching you, Zach. You, thank you. You're I a really rising star that. and you're part of the OWC family now. If that means a lot, thank you. And I, I'm, I, I'm, and I'm proud to be, I mean, again, you know, I never have to worry about any equipment, never, you know, not working and uh, it's stable, it's made well. It also doesn't really break the bank that off like that or really badly compared to other companies that I've used for other equipment. So it means a win one. Yeah. Well, it's really been wonderful talking to you. Thanks for being here and for taking time. He's Zach Kornhauser. I'm Serena Catania. You're listening to OWC Radio. Thanks again for that. And remember what I tell you every episode, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today. Have a wonderful day and we will see you soon. Thanks, Zach. That's great. Thank you. Thank you.